Welcome to the APS Pulmonary Rehabilitation Podcast. Our topic today is pediatric acute respiratory distress syndrome and the application of pulmonary rehabilitation strategies for children that survive ARDS. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Kirkby. Dr. Kirkby is the medical director of the lung and heart lung transplant programs at Nationwide Children's Hospital and is an associate professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Dr. Kirby's areas of research focus on clinical outcomes in lung transplantation and cystic fibrosis. His main clinical interests include lung transplantation, CF, and other congenital lung diseases, pulmonary hypertension in advanced lung disease, and treatment of unusual pulmonary infections. Please welcome Dr. Kirby. Pediatric acute respiratory distress syndrome is an important cause of IC-related morbidity and mortality. Even though there is growing evidence that suggests that ARDS can lead to significant long-term dysfunction, little is known about the long-term pulmonary complications that affect survivors. Dr. Kirby, how prevalent is ARDS in children and what are some of the predisposing factors for severe disease? Sure. Well, I think first of all, we need to recognize that how we define pediatric ARDS um, over the last five to seven years has, has probably changed a little bit from historically what's been in the literature. So in 2015, there was a pediatric acute lung injury consensus conference and changed and broadened the definition uh, somewhat. And this is important because there are a few differences from adult populations. So uh, basically all pediatric patients, um, excluding those with uh, prematurity perinatal lung disease, but um, including patients with underlying cardiac and chronic lung disease can be included. Um, they looked at hypoxemia and radiographical changes within one week of a known insult. Um, and then radiographical changes consistent with some type of parenchymal lung disease, um, but could be unilateral or bilateral. And then a little bit different, different definition of hypoxemia looking at oxygenation index. Um, but anyway, this, this newer definition, I think, included more children um, with a diagnosis of ARDS than may have been considered ARDS in the past. Um, but so some of the, the estimates of, of prevalence, um, you know, it's important to know, predated that new definition. Um, one study rec, um, estimated, it was a study out of Washington State, estimated that um, acute lung injury occurred in about 13 patient, pediatric patients per 100,000. Uh, and severe sepsis was the most common cause or risk for the ARDS. Um, I, I think we'd have to say that we don't truly know what the, the true, the actual prevalence of ARDS is. Um, it seems to be a relatively uh, less common cause of respiratory failure compared to adult patients in pediatric ICUs, but a very important one uh, with still probably a 20% or so mortality rate. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that there are, there, there's more work to be done to truly understand, um, you know, the incidence, the prevalence and, and risk factors. Um, as far as what appear to be risk factors for having severe disease for, for developing uh, pediatric ARDS, um, clearly having pre-existing conditions, chronic pulmonary disease, um, any type of immunosuppressed state um, uh, would, would really be uh, important uh, things to look at. Um, obesity, 
uh, may have some risk factors, um, genetic disease, underlying neurological disease. Um, and, and I think to truly understand the, the causes and the etiology, you have to kind of think about the underlying patient. So, you know, a patient with uh, chronic lung diseases that make their lungs more susceptible to a trigger that causes acute lung injury. Could uh, patients with underlying neurological conditions who may be more prone to aspirate um, make sense that that may be a, a potential risk factor. And uh, what is the usual, you know, degree of pulmonary dysfunction that's encountered in individuals that recover from ARDS? So we've talked about sort of like the definition of ARDS and also some of the predisposing risk factors. Can we identified individuals that are at higher risk of developing pulmonary dysfunction at the time of hospital discharge? Well, I think we'd have to suspect that children with pre-existing conditions, particularly pre-existing pulmonary conditions, if you develop ARDS on top of it, I think we'd have to say that that's a risk factor. But whether or not that's truly known, I, I think we just don't know. Um, as far as what degree of pulmonary dysfunction occurs in patients with ARDS, um, I think this is one of the real challenges of thinking about um, pediatric rehabilitation, um, pediatric pulmonary rehabilitation is how do, we, how do we best objectively measure and objectively understand what is pulmonary dysfunction? So, you know, for instance, we could look at um, hypoxemia uh, following ARDS. We can look at abnormal imaging, um, but truly understanding what is functional status, uh, particularly for a younger pediatric patient, I think can be really hard to um, objectively define and therefore hard to really understand in uh, epidemiological studies. Um, I think as clinicians, we know it when we see it. Um, you know, you talk to a parent and you understand what a two-year-old may have been functioning like before uh, an illness and know that it's going to take a while to bounce back. But how do we, particularly in younger patients, how do we, how do we um, quantify uh, what some of this pulmonary dysfunction is? And in your experience, point. yeah, definitely. And in your experience, uh, the degree of pulmonary dysfunction when patients, you know, have abnormal PFTs or imaging studies, does that always translate into persistent respiratory symptoms or decreased quality of life, or is it variable? I think it's variable. Um, there's, there's, you know, in pediatrics, there's limited data specifically looking at uh, survivors of ARDS. There's limited data um, that that would be available to help us predict how long to expect um, abnormal uh, pulmonary function testing. Of course, you have to back up and say, well, you know, a young child is not going to be able to do reliable pulmonary function testing to use that as a, as a real parameter. Um, certainly, we could look at duration of abnormal chest x-rays per se, but, but we know that that doesn't always correlate with, with a functional impairment. Um, you know, how long does a child need oxygen following an acute illness? That, that, that may be something that's, you know, we could quantify and, and measure how long to, you know, resolution of hypoxemia. But as far as, you know, long-term pulmonary dysfunction, um, you know, I think we may be talking about, well, what is long-term susceptibility to um, viral infections? What's long-term risk of asthma-like uh, physiology, bronchospasm? Um, 
And I think we can all hypothesize that that injury may, may have some um, immediate and some at least short-term uh, consequences. But in terms of long-term follow-up for pediatric survivors, I, I think it's, um, it, it's very much still an unknown area. And do we know of any uh, predictor factors or scoring systems uh, that can estimate the risk of pulmonary sequela in patients with ARDS? And is there any clinical utility in applying this into clinical practice? I, I'm not aware of any great, um, uh, you know, objective scoring system or, um, you know, uh, uh, predictive model of what the long-term risk would be. I think primarily it's, it's got to be our, our um, index of suspicion and our understanding of what a child's pre-existing conditions may be going into acute illness. Um, and then probably also somewhat, you know, what is their, what was their severity? What was their impairment um, during ARDS? So, you know, I think we'd have to speculate that a child that required weeks and weeks of mechanical ventilation or a child that required ECMO support, um, certainly a child that, um, was, uh, had severe enough ARDS and appeared to have fibrotic changes on imaging, um, we'd, we'd have to expect potentially longer term sequelae and probably a higher, um, um, uh, probably a, follow those children more closely and follow up um, to uh, look at how they're recovering and then also some long-term pulmonary follow-up afterwards uh, may very well be indicated. Now, we know that there is no universal screening for residual lung disease among individuals with ARDS. In your opinion, are there certain patient populations that you know, are at a higher risk for residual lung disease that should be screened more routinely? Well, I, th I think certainly uh, patients with underlying pulmonary disease or underlying cardiovascular disease, that would be a very reasonable patient to try to have close, close follow-up with. Um, I think there's uh, reason to be suspicious that um, obese patients um, may have a harder time in recovery, and, and that would also potentially be a, a risk factor that should be followed. Um, and, and then I think it's, uh, we'd have to speculate that the, the severity of, of the disease, the duration of requiring uh, ventilatory support, the duration of requiring oxygen support, the longer that goes on, the more close follow-up um, should be, should be occurring. And, and then also, I know we're going to get into potentially a role of pulmonary rehabilitation and in, in speeding up and optimizing their recovery. So we also know that ARDS by itself is associated with increased morbidity and mortality among individuals with ARDS. However, some of the technologies or strategies that we implement in the critical care units can potentially lead to significant dysfunction at the time of hospital discharge. How do these technologies or you know, the application of mechanical ventilation can potentially increase the risk of developing pulmonary dysfunction? Sure. So certainly, yeah, I think we're all aware of uh, the risk of uh, injury that, that occurs not just with the ARDS, but with mechanical ventilation. Um, a lot of what is done in pediatric intensive care units with um, you know, lung protection ventilation strategies, lower tidal volumes, optimizing PEEP. Um, there's, there's certainly, I think, very good theory that that, um, that should be applied and is ideal to children. I think those are 
generally what is practiced and what's uh, recommended, but uh, probably important to note that a lot of that is extrapolated from adult data. Um, but uh, recognizing the, the, the potential for uh, uh, barotrauma, volume trauma from uh, mechanical ventilation, um, you know, other types of things that are, are sometimes done for the sickest of the sick of pediatric ARDS patients, um, high frequency oscillating ventilation strategy is used in pediatrics, generally not used as much in, in adult ARDS. Um, but that would, you know, potentially indicate a child getting put on high frequency, you know, either more severe underlying conditions or more severe stages of ARDS. Um, pulmonary hypertension uh, certainly is something that we are suspicious of in, in some children with, uh, with ARDS and uh, therefore using inhaled nitric oxide or other uh, inhaled prostacyclines to um, help uh, would be a strategy that's used, but may um, indicate a, a higher risk patient for uh, pulmonary challenges uh, in the midst of recovery and, and after recovery. So we've also talked about uh, the risk of residual lung disease. In your experience, is there a specific pattern of residual lung disease that individuals express more frequently? For example, do patients that survive ARDS typically present with obstructive physiology, restrictive physiology, or what kind of symptoms or manifestations are we talking about when we describe these long-term pulmonary dysfunction among survivors? Yeah, I think it's maybe helpful to kind of break this up into categories. So, and again, in, in children, particularly young children um, who may not be able to report symptoms or may not be, you know, walking, running, but, but in younger children, you know, things that we would have to objectively look at would be um, duration and degree of, of, of hypoxemia, need for supplemental oxygen, um, looking and imaging over time, and then, you know, subsequent illnesses and, uh, you know, again, risk of asthma-like symptomatology. When we're talking about older children, um, you know, certainly preteens or teenage children, then we may be able to get into really looking at pulmonary function tests, reliable pulmonary function tests to help guide us. And I think that there's really a lack of, of data on this in the pediatric population. Um, some adult studies have shown that uh, ARDS survivors could have both an obstructive pattern or a restrictive pattern. Um, I, I think it makes sense that those with more restrictive pattern tend to be those that may have had fibrotic type of changes um, if CT imaging was done, so potentially more severe ARDS. Um, but those, both the obstructive and the restrictive changes, again, in small studies in adults, seem to get better with time. Um, abnormal diffusion capacity is also something that's been noted in, in pulmonary function studies um, among adult patients. So, you know, how do we bring that into pediatric world? I think that um, it's certainly very reasonable to uh, follow um, uh, pulmonary function testing in children who are survivors of ARDS, particularly if there's evidence of, of some functional impairment, some exercise impairment. Um, and hopefully that's something that normalizes over time. And with the search of COVID and COVID-related ARDS, have you seen any more specific pattern of dysfunction among these individuals? Anything that can distinguish uh, the risk of residual lung disease or the presentation of residual lung disease among these individuals 
as opposed to other individuals with ARDS from other causes? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. And I, I think in pediatrics, uh, we, I, I certainly don't have um, uh, enough patients. And I don't think overall we, we, we do as well. I mean, fortunately, through ARDS from um, COVID-related lung injury in children is much, much less common than what is experienced in adult patient populations. Um, and so I don't know if we can necessarily identify any unique things among pediatric COVID-related ARDS than other forms of, of PEDS ARDS at this point. Um, what I can say is I think we're seeing, and, and, and probably everywhere we're seeing, um, children who have, have had COVID and are having some prolonged symptoms, um, you know, exercise impairment, um, you know, just feeling dysmic, asthma-like physiology. We have a specific clinic uh, now set up for this um, at, at our institution. And I, I think many places around the country and around the world are, are doing similar things, recognizing that, that even more mild COVID infections, meaning COVID infections that don't necessarily cause ARDS can cause long-term pulmonary symptoms. And I think that this is something really important to approach in a multidisciplinary manner. Um, you know, certainly trying to identify with pulmonary function testing in children old enough or objective measures of, you know, exercise impairment, whether that's looking at walk distances or considering formal cardiopulmonary exercise testing and looking at um, you know, uh, objective measurements of, of exercise impairment may be very helpful. But also, you know, the multidisciplinary nature of it is, um, you know, can there be some cardiac impairment in, in some of these children? Um, I think we certainly have to be mindful of um, in severe pediatric COVID cases, if there's, you know, severe lung disease with severe hypoxemia, and certainly if there's ARDS, um, very reasonable and, and necessary probably to also screen for cardiac dysfunction. Um, so I, I, I guess in summary on that, I, I think it's hard to necessarily separate COVID ARDS in pediatrics from other forms, um, just based on, you know, limited numbers at this point. And I know that this next question might be very specific to different centers, uh, since there's no recommended, you know, universal screening for individuals that survive ARDS. But are there any routine screening tests that we should be performing in survivors of ARDS, like muscle strength testing, six-minute walk tests, PFTs, chest imaging studies? In your opinion, should this be something that we uh, should be screening routinely? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it absolutely um, has both real world clinical value for individual patients, but also value to all of us to, to look at objectively with, um, you know, multi uh, uh, center, larger patient volume uh, follow up studies. Um, you know, the age of the patient certainly is important to think about. Again, we're not able to, to measure, you know, pulmonary function accurately in young children. Um, and then also recognizing that some of the patients um, who may be at risk for developing severe ARDS uh, may have underlying conditions, neurological conditions, et cetera, that, that may make some of this monitoring somewhat difficult. But, but by and large, I, my 
approach to a patient who has recovered from prolonged uh, critical illness, including ARDS, um, should be a close follow-up with, um, I, I think, primary care, but also a pulmonology follow-up is, is very, very reasonable. Um, you know, trying to think about this of what's their, what's their functional status, what's their level of impairment at the time of hospital discharge, um, and figuring out a plan within, you know, a few months of, of uh, determining, are they improving in their, that level of impairment? What's quality of life like? Are they, are they able to get back to normal activities? You mentioned a really important point that we haven't talked about yet, but nutritional parameters. I mean, we all know that uh, ARDS certainly uh, causes a, a, a profound um, uh, change in metabolism in, in pediatric patients. And, and one of the, the cornerstones of providing optimal care during that critical illness is making sure that their nutrition is optimized. Um, but then what are the long-term effects? Um, measuring and looking at as best as we can muscle mass and muscle strength and what's the degree of a child's um, you know, physical impairment, um, also something really uh, interesting and probably important to do. Um, how we would go about that would, um, you know, be um, very different, I think, in, you know, a teenager who was previously healthy with good muscle strength and good nutritional status versus, uh, you know, a one-year-old who, you know, we're not able to, to, to really measure the functionality or the strength as well. That's that's a great point, and uh, it's uh, rarely talked about. You know, we uh, always uh, focus on some of the long-term physical, psychological impairment in these individuals, but we rarely mention, you know, the the nutritional uh, deficiencies that are prevalent among individuals who survive ARDS. So, in your opinion, are there any other potential interventions besides, you know, nutritional support early in the course of ARDS that could be implemented to mitigate some of the long-term pulmonary complications among survivors? Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is certainly a, an area of, of uh, you know, future investigation and hopefully future um, interventions, therapies that could be offered. I mean, if we think about what's available right now, what do we know right now, um, you know, I think of this as providing outstanding critical care and our ICU colleagues uh, doing this uh, hour by hour during these critical illnesses. So that includes, you know, just optimal ventilation, uh, ventilator management, but, um, you know, appropriate fluid status, um, optimizing nutrition during the critical illness, um, trying to minimize sedation as much as is possible. Um, you know, as far as Therapeutic options, um, surfactant is something that's been tried. I think that there's no clear evidence of surfactant providing um, benefit. Steroids, um, again, some some um, some studies have provided some some evidence that it may be beneficial. Others um, may may not support that. Um, COVID now, I think clearly there's a role in severe COVID. COVID ARDS are receiving steroids. Um, but, you know, as we think about future therapeutic options, uh, potentially uh, agents that may modulate the immune system, uh, maybe a role uh, in down the road of stem cell therapy to help uh, in the recovery of, of lung injury, of epithelial cell injury, uh, may have some therapeutic benefit. 
Now, does the use of early ECMO cannulation in individuals with severe ARDS uh, mitigate the degree of lung damage by reducing, you know, the injurious effects of mechanical ventilation? Or are there any difference in outcomes in terms of, you know, early ECMO cannulation versus later ECMO cannulation for ARDS in terms well, of the, the risk of pulmonary dysfunction? Yeah. That, that's a great question. And, and I guess let me start off by saying, I, I know, I believe in our center um, supports uh, cannulation and use of, of ECMO as a strategy to um, uh, help in the, the recovery process. Um, certainly when there is refractory hypoxemia and uh, needing to escalate ventilatory support, um, I, I think when children are being switched to, you know, alternative strategies um, such as high-frequency oscillator ventilation and doing things to try to minimize airway pressures, and despite that, a child is is worsening or or not improving over time, then ECMO as a strategy should certainly be be considered. Um, as far as comparing, you know, what's the optimal time early versus late cannulation, I, I'm not aware of any clear data for that. Um, you know, ultimately a randomized controlled trial to look at that, I think would be, um, would, would be potentially challenging to do. Um, there may be differences of opinion between center to center and, and, and ECMO teams. Um, but I, I will just say, I, I certainly have seen the benefits of, of using ECMO. Um, and my personal thought is that in some of these cases, uh, maybe I wish we would have cannulated a few days earlier um, because I've seen it stabilize and, and help um, bridge uh, people, patients to recovery. Um, I'll also say that in patients that um, you know have severe refractory ARDS, there may be a role in very select population for consideration of lung transplant. Um, that strategy, as an example, during COVID, uh, ARDS in adult patients is something as a strategy that's been utilized, um, oftentimes in young adults, um, but it's a strategy that we can think about and we and other center transplant centers have, have used. Um, and there is some data to suggest that the children who are transplanted from ECMO um, have, have reasonable outcomes. Um, so something that I, I think that it's a strategy that should certainly be entertained in severe pediatric ARDS. Definitely. And I think what most people forget is, you know, the importance of applying a lung protective strategy when individuals are in ECMO, because the little data that exists showing, you know, benefit of ECMO versus conventional treatment, uh, was uh, specifically uh, when, you know, adult populations were maintained on ECMO using a lung protective strategy uh, or an ultra lung protective strategy to sort of like reduce the risk of lung damage. Uh, I feel that most of the times we use ECMO uh, in patients that have refractory hypoxemia, but we continue to apply high levels of mechanical ventilation. And I feel that the outcomes might be the same or potentially even worse when you take into account, you know, the, the risk of ECMO complications. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you see a role in pulmonary rehabilitation for children that survive ARDS? I, I absolutely think so. You know, we're, we're fortunate to have a large and, and very active pediatric pulmonary uh, rehab program at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And, um, you know, I think that 
that one of the key things for pediatric pulmonary rehab is the, the program's got to be flexible and it's got to meet the child for their age, for what their, their interests are. Um, it's harder to be prescriptive and have the exact same exercise plan for, for every child. Uh, certainly of, of uh, age plays a big role. Um, another important difference, I think, between pediatric pulmonary rehab and adult pulmonary rehab is there, you know, most local community hospitals will have an adult program where an adult ARDS survivor could, could go to and participate in. And I think it's safe to say that, that those same resources for pediatric patients don't exist. So uh, we had patients that may live, you know, hours and hours away from our center and, and coming back for regular pulmonary rehab sessions is, is just not feasible for a family. Um, you know, once, once their child has recovered and gone home, um, I think it's opened up an exciting um, opportunity that, that I know we and many others have taken advantage of is the role of uh, virtual pulmonary rehabilitation in children. I think that that's a strategy that, um, you know, can help um, make um, structured and, and supervised exercise and pulmonary rehab um, more of a reality for, for more pediatric patients. So I think that that's important. Um, but I, I really recommend and see, see benefits um, clinically in patients of all ages, children of all ages, um, and, and really no matter what their underlying lung disease, I see benefits in the patients that I, that I take care of. Um, I see patients and their parents who say, yeah, their child is stronger and able to do more activities. And it seems like that rehab process is, is, is playing an important role. Um, I think clearly this is something that we as a pediatric community, a pediatric pulmonary community, and those of us interested in pediatric rehab, you know, an area that we really ought to be thinking about and, and trying to collect some data uh, on. Uh, we need to think about what types of um, what types of endpoints would we have? How do we objectively measure success in pediatric pulmonary rehabilitation? You know, how do you measure what the degree of impairment is at the start and then compare it, you know, midway through a, a pulmonary rehab session and then at the end, and then what's the long-term benefit? Probably easier to do in teenage patients where we can use more traditional parameters, pulmonary function testing, six minute walk distance would be, you know, a, a nice and fairly easy, straightforward way of looking at this. But, um, you know, looking at that and, and trying to extrapolate what, what a six minute walk distance should be for a six or seven year old is, is a lot different than thinking of it in an adult patient. So I think we have to be creative in how we approach it and, and think broadly and, and try to include as many, um, uh, patients as possible. Um, and maybe it's, it's really, you know, important to recognize that, we need to think about this more subjectively and, and really be focused on uh, quality of life reporting from parents and, and teachers and, and others that are involved in, in observing how a child is recovering from such a severe illness. And in your opinion, how early should a pulmonary rehabilitation program be implemented to reduce some of the morbidities that we've talked yeah. about associated with severe ARDS? So, so I think of uh, pulmonary rehabilitation as is probably a continuum of 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 things that that actually should really probably even be starting in the ICU. So, you know, as soon as a child, even a child who's um, you know on mechanical ventilation or on ECMO, um, if they can participate in physical therapy and and things to optimize strength, that that's all I guess part of a pulmonary rehabilitation. We just may not all think of it that way. 
Um, but as we're talking about it um, in terms of um, you know, referrals and getting patients specifically in what we think about traditionally of a couple of months of supervised exercise program. I mean, generally then we're talking about patients who um, are on the road to recovery. I would recommend referral and involving a pediatric pulmonary rehab team um, during a child's hospitalization. Um, you know, as they're, as they're improving enough to be able to understand and their parents are able to understand what a pulmonary rehab program is going to look like. Um, trying to use that time to build and tailor a program that's going to be best for the patient and the family, um, whether that's, you know, at your institution, whether that's using virtual technology, whether that's, you know, putting together um, a structured exercise program that when a child is discharged, they could then continue at home. I think that's all, that's all things that we need to be thinking about as, as early as possible. And for centers that don't have a specific pulmonary rehabilitation program, do you have any um, sort of like standardized recommendations on how they can provide some of these strategies for patients that survive ARDS particularly? Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of the key elements, even if you don't have a structured program, would be um, building some of the key components of that into your, into your follow-up for the patient and, and into your your instructions of, 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 um, you know, discharge care. So in addition to medications and other things, physical therapy, but, you know, building a structured exercise program, um, and of course, tailoring that for the individual patient based on their age, their size, their needs, um, other components of pediatric pulmonary rehab that we know are important are, you know, looking at their nutritional status. And, and if we can engage and, and get buy-in from dietitians to, to follow and look at, um, you know, weight and body mass index. And certainly if you can incorporate measurements of muscle mass and, and all those sorts of things, I think that those can be really, really helpful and maybe identify some ways to focus and, and tailor the interventions to, to ultimately help patients maximize, maximize their recovery. And finally, what are some of the areas of future research in the field of, you know, pulmonary rehabilitation for ARDS? And do you foresee the development of standardized uh, pulmonary rehabilitation programs in the future for all individuals that survive ARDS? Well, I think, I think with pediatric ARDS, and I'll just say also in generally in pulmonary rehab, um, I, I think um, getting more centers to develop formal programs and developing some collaboration between um, pediatric centers that have active programs so that we can um, begin to um, study um, and objectively look at this, I think would be really helpful. That may help lead to more programs down the road. It may um, lead to more resources um, at potentially even community hospitals that may not have a, a strong pediatric component. Um, maybe it leads to, you know, other programs and, and, and types of things that would be available in, in large communities and also, you know, smaller communities, rural communities or underserved communities um, certainly could be very, very important. Um, so, you know, I think um, as we talked about, some of the challenges are identifying um, what what interventions um, are, are going to be most effective and, and to do that, what are our endpoints? You know, what, what do we look at as far as markers of, of exercise limitation? What do we look at as far as measures of, of pulmonary impairment? How do we look at it in terms of measurements of 
nutritional or strength impairment at the start of a pulmonary rehab as an intervention? And then what's the best way to assess that? What's the best time? Um, I think it would be great to, you know, reach some kind of consensus if we were to do this collaboratively and in a prospective manner of, you know, the goal would be so many sessions per week or so many sessions per month um, and looking at it at, at set predefined intervals. Um, and then again, while of course we'd all like to have objective data, it's, it's nice to look at numbers. I mean, at the end of the day, it may be, um, it may be more quality of life measures. Uh, it may be looking at, you know, healthcare utilization. Um, if we could see that, you know, um, ultimately there, there's less readmissions or less, um, you know, need less need for antibiotics or steroids or things like that, then, then potentially we're, you know, we're, we're showing things. Obviously that would take a lot of patience and a, a long-term follow-up plan to be able to come up with. Dr. Kirby, thank you very much for participating in this podcast for the ATS Pulmonary Rehabilitation Group. This was a great opportunity for us to learn more about pediatric ARDS and some of the long-term sequela encounter among individuals, as well as potential rehabilitation strategies to mitigate some of these morbidities. Thank you very much again.